We're going to be continuing our disruptive rescue series with Dominic Bergani, philanthropist, world traveler, male model. None of those are actually true about Dominic whatsoever, but he is an incredible rescuer and is a primary instructor, program manager with Element Rescue and Rescue Craft. This will be part one of three where we'll be discussing a variety of rescue cultures and compare and contrast them with traditional FD rope rescue technicians. We also will be discussing an operational utilization of the Munter Hitch, the Bolin, various styles of prussics, and the pros and cons of some materials like aramids, dynema, and nylon. All right. This is Sean, Element Rescue and Rescue Craft. And we are with Dominic Brigani tonight. And we will be talking about miscellaneous fire related tech rescue, disruptive rescue, idiopathic rope rescue SOP standards of unknown etiology, where the hell they came from, no one knows, but we do them. So, uh, Dom, good talking to you. We had you up here, I don't know, what, a couple weeks ago? Got to hang yeah, out man. a little, got to hang out a little bit, got to go do some stuff in the mountains there with uh, Brent a little bit. But uh, Dom's got, uh, what, over three decades in tech rescue, fire, fire department, firefighter. Uh, you responded to World Trade Center in 2001, and without your knowledge, I recruited you for a couple rescue-related working groups for the Committee on Tactical Emergency Casualty Care that we'll be working on some stuff with. But Dom, real quick, why don't you just give a quick background? And we also did a podcast with Dom a while ago, too. What was that? Technical Rescue is a Tradecraft. So if you haven't checked that yeah. out, listen to that one. Uh, that goes into a bunch of your... What's your stuff, especially with the World Trade Center, too? But, uh, Dom, let's hear from you. What's up, buddy? <laughs> good, to, good good, to be here, man. It's always good uh, talking to you about stuff and hashing some of this stuff out there. Yeah, I think uh, I think we'll call you Obrogani, man. We're going to bring you over the Irish side. So this is like another thing I think that's big for everybody listening is you and I are – we just tear down the walls, right, with the yeah, Irish-Italian it's, it's, fire department thing, the Irish – Italian fire department rivalry type thing. We just tear it down, man, right? Sometimes I'll be in Italian. Sometimes you're Irish. It's cool. Yeah, it's like disruptive international relations. That is cool. We should we should probably be – we're making rescue great again, man. Trump should call us or right. something, man, right? So yeah, what, we're um, – I was going to say, what what day did you ever think that you'd see an Italian guy play the bagpipes? Dude, bagpipes, banjo, <laughs> harmonica. You listen, to, you listen to bluegrass music, man. You, yeah. you drinking yeah, man. moonshine. Yeah, man, you're – you literally the Jersey are, Shore and the Snooky days are over. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's like peanut butter and chocolate, man. It's like a, your Reese's peanut butter cup. It's like that Italian dipped into the Scott Irish. And it's like no, you're Scott Irish <laughs> dipped in eh, whatever. That almost sounded bad, but anyways, yeah. Give us a quick background on uh, on your rescue background, real quick, man. Well, I, you know, I, I've been in the fire rescue business now for twenty seven something years, something like that. Uh, originally from Connecticut, worked up there for. For 17, 18 years, I uh, was with Connecticut USAR Task Force, did a bunch of work with them, then uh, went out on my own and decided to make make a living at uh, teaching technical rescue full-time. You know, with the economy collapsing and all, I ended up uh, finding myself up on uh, southwest Florida, back on the job again, and then uh, worked there, uh, been working there now for close to eight, eight years, head up there technical rescue team on the on the department as well as uh the training coordinator for the county that i work in so uh we keep busy and of course uh 
you know, between that, that and element rescue, we, uh, we do a lot of work. <laughs> do, some, do some training. Uh, yeah, that's good. And I should also probably say that with, uh, any background noises, there's a bunch of coffee being, uh, sucked down on both sides of this, uh, computer tonight, man. So you're, you're rocking, I think some Valhalla Java yeah. and, Valhalla. uh, and I got some death wish coffee going here too. So that being said, let's get into this thing. So we got a bunch to, bunch to talk about. So on the first one, I figured we were going to talk about things that usually come up in normal discussions anyways, when we're, when we're teaching. And I just kind of want you to keep a little bit more of your, your fire related, uh, hat on tonight, as far as the arguments you hear coming from, from that side for guys that have been in tech rescue for a long time that have had certain things ingrained into them where obviously with, with who we usually do work with, it, it's kind of, we, we make sure, you know, whatever works is what works. And, Right. And being equipment heavy isn't really an option. So that mindset's a little bit different. So we're going to go through a couple topics and we'll just kind of go pros and cons of what you feel, what I feel. And you can talk a little bit about, you know, what the thought process is on kind of the tr- more traditional, maybe tech rescue side of it. First one's going to be munter hitches. So I obviously am a huge fan. We use it a lot in a lot of the classes we do, obviously. And I just feel. I, I love them. You know, you have some people that, that talk about it's not redundant if something happens to you while you're lowering, especially if you're doing the munter hitch off your own belay loop or your own harness. Uh, even if you're going off a tree and you slip, you let go, that munter can flip and everything goes bad. When in reality, I like it just because the versatility is, is I don't need any extra equipment. I can rock that thing out. I can add a second carabiner, run a super munter and get a hellacious amount of extra friction. I can create a one-way munter by adding a carabiner in there so it won't flip over so I can actually use it like a progressive capture although there's some friction in it. Uh, there's just like kind of unlimited uses for it. I can I, I always have an available if I have a rope and a carabiner, I have the availability to get myself out uh down and lower myself. I can lower a casualty. I can do an improv raise as that is a progressive capture. And like I said, although with some friction in it, but I love the thing. What what about you? I personally love it myself, and and that really was born through working work, working alongside of you, um, and seeing a lot of it. When I first started, the Munther Hitch was a primary belay, and it worked. It worked. I never saw a problem with it, but somewhere down the road, we were taught that we were never to use a Munther Hitch on a belay, as a belay, because it wasn't wasn't fail proof, right? So if you let go of the rope, it wasn't gonna. There was nobody there. We needed fail safe belays. But using, I, I personally never, I've never seen the Munther Hitch in the fire service in my time and where I've worked as a, like a mainline lowering or, a, or maybe as an emergency repel, but it's just the, the stigma that we don't use it, you know, fail safe as a, as a repelling device. Well, you know, we use eight plates and they're not fail safe either. So I, I, I kind of like this distraught why you know why is an eight plate okay and then month or hitch not and when with the actual information that you have about a month or hitch if you have the information that's fine right <laughs> yeah and i'll post some stuff up on it too there's been a lot of good studies on it and and it's actually i i don't know it's like l cool j man don't call it a comeback it's been here for years rocking the mic yeah bringing sectors to no it's it's you see a lot more about them now because i think people are realizing the versatility of them and how you can add things to them. So, you know, by teaching somebody one hitch, you end up getting an exponential amount of capabilities out of that. Especially, you know, we always, you see a lot of people that 
that just focus right on their primary, right? Their P all the time. I always have this or I always have that. But that's not reality. So as you work your way down, even if it's not your primary, you know, knowing it and knowing it inside and out as your alternate contingency or emergency is is just extra tools in your in your toolbox. The other side of it too is is what you brought up is people feel like oh it's not it's not redundantly safe, but you know, I, I saw some pretty cool presentations from a guy out west doing some stuff where he's just rocking wonder hitches because ounces count, right? So ounces, enough ounces yeah. equal a pound, enough pounds, and and you're getting waxed hiking miles in to do a rescue. Where he has his munter, you know, basically on a, on a substantial tree or whatever, and put nothing more than than a, a three rep prusik off his harness, and just mines that. So even if he did slip or fall. That you got back up. he is not gonna fit through the carabiner, man. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like it's he's you've got a backup by just adding a, just adding a prusik onto your harness, man. You know, and and you're feeding that rope out, doing that, and then extremely safe. And even in the drop test, it was pretty pretty cool. So I think we both agree, thumbs up on the Munter, man. You know, it just takes people to research the actual numbers, and I think we're gonna talk about that later. Is a lot of the data of some incredible research that's been coming out over the past five years, three years may not be permeating itself into technical rescue teams, into the fire department. And, and it, it really not – it may not be permeating into a lot of disciplines really uh, or a lot of different cultures. But uh, there's research out there that, that is incredible that shows just a high safety margin. The other side of it is with all the equipment out there, you know how to operate a munter. Like you feel a munter on your hand. You know when you're breaking. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know when that guy's feet are on a windowsill now, right? You, you, you have the feel of the rescue in your hand where with other systems, you, you, you kind of lack that. And, and to teach it, it's a very simple technique. It's non-complex. You don't have all these working parts where you've got to lock this off and then twist this, uh, handle the MPD, but make sure your brakes it, – it, here it is, man. If the lines are running parallel, you're braking. Yeah. That's it. it you know, It's, it's a capstan equation. Yeah. And you- and you know when it looks like when you put it on the carabiner, right? Your safety uh, test. You flip unlike it. a bar rack, right? A bar rack. If you load it wrong, you load it in the backwards way. They're all going to just open up, right? Right. That's, <laughs> or, pro- or that's if problematic. You, yeah, or you let off, you know, a couple bars, and then next thing you know, you let off the third bar, and you really only you thought you were on the fourth, and now the the rack is open. So, yeah. you know, it, it's only as fail safe as the user. And, you know, in the month of hitch also, the, a lot of it has to do with how many bends are in the rope before the load and between the load and the month of hitch. Yep. That, that alone too, you know, a 190 degree bend. and Yeah. You, you, you're seeing like 70% more. less, 70% yeah. less yeah. of the load is on that month or hitch right now. Exactly. Um, yeah. Which is your typical, really just your, you know, out of window, man, out of windowsill is taking taking a substantial amount if, if it's in an urban environment, uh, let alone any rock edges. So, yeah, munters. And we'll try and put some stuff in the notes on the website uh, that people can read as far as some of the research on there. All right, next one. All right, man, it's close to my heart. Bolins. I, I, love, my, I love myself some Bolins, man. You were going to go there. Yeah, I know. So uh, I, I'm a big fan, and obviously the, you know, we, we talked a, a little bit about this. I think we talked a little bit with Evans, and, and I know Brent and I were talking. But – yeah, you know, Bolin's lost face because, oh man, with cycles, it can start loosening, that tail will come out, which is hysterical to me because all you got to do is finish the freaking thing, right? Put a Yosemite right. finish in it, put a Lee's finish in it, put an overhand finish in it, and it's not. Now it's now it's super ass safe. And as far as the, the weight ratings, you know, we talked about that with Tom, is, 
you should not be using when you compare oh, a bowling to a figure eight or to a, a figure nine or this and that. It depends on the material. Every rope is going to be different. So is it nylon, nylon? Is it a polyester nylon? Is it a, a aramid? All those are going to produce different efficiencies, and when you look to it, they're all safe, man. They're they're all really safe, and I love the bowling because we can load the shit out of it, and it I can untie it really easy, really quick. I can do derivatives like the rigging bowling, and, and now I took webbing completely out of my system, and I'm able to rig off an anchor with, with a loop that's that's great. We use like, the double bite bowling for, for a tremendous amount as an end of the rope, whether we're lowering somebody, yep. using it for an anchor, because no matter how many reps we run, how heavy we are on the loads, that thing unties really simple, really quick, very easy. What about you? I know you like them, but what, what's your experience with, with other people uh, hitting out bowling? Well, in the fire service, you pretty much um, bowlings are for tying uh, equipment to an end of a rope. And it's unfortunate because, like, as you as you know, uh, and we use them quite a bit um, on our side, not on the FD side. What's the name of the game, right? The name of the game is to get this done as quickly as possible. And I and you can't nobody can argue that a bowling's not really quick to tie, right. right? So, you know, that in itself is a plus to to you know working with your patient. The quicker quicker I can get what I need done, the better. And then. In the instances where you have to rip, rep out uh, the rescue, or you know, at another patient, or take apart your system and relocate it somewhere else, again, you know, like you can take it apart and put it back together again. Um, it, you know, it kills me too a little bit with that. Is is so you and I obviously get to work with some feds and, and military and groups like that, but we also have the opportunity sometimes to work with task force or with USAR groups and things like that also. What's interesting is the negativity sometimes you see at the bowling for instances like an anchor tying in, taking the place of a figure yeah. eight. Yet what is used a lot of times that we see all the time tied into baskets, man, is long tail bowlings, man. Long tail bowlings. Right? Yeah. So you'll see interlockings. You'll see doubles. You'll see these used all the time. So they're strong enough for that. Yeah. Right? And, and I guess maybe because it's a long tail, they're not worried about it cycling through yet. Same thing. Just just finish your just finish your bowling, man, and it's locked off, super secure. Yet they're used. Yeah, they're like used on a bridle with a with a patient and a rescuer attached, <laughs> and and that's what you're tied in on. That's a whole other subject. Okay, yeah. start a patient attached to to the rescuer, but um, yeah, and and, and finishing a bowling, the Yosemite finish couldn't be easier. Right. Right. Um, and you'll see in the fire service when we finish a bowling, it's always an overhand knot, and Nine times out of ten, that's the overhand knots. What is what gets everybody? <laughs> right. So finish it with Yosemite and actually finish it uh, where it's effective. Yeah, um, and I think just yeah. putting that extra diameter through when you do that Yosemite too is uh, not only secures it, but it adds an extra diameter through that area that that increases its stability. But uh, all right, so. Thumbs up on Bullens. People need to research it. There's been a couple – I think it was Mark Gomer somebody. There's a few people that wrote some incredible articles on the Bullen down to literally like a ridiculous molecular level of a Bullen, which is really interesting and in being able to tell the nipping turn and it's a closed helix system similar to how uh, MIT uses for knot theory for DNA testing. And I mean it's, it's absolutely insane. But it does an incredible job at showing you just all the different finishes out there, how secure they are. It's it's an incredible paper, and I think once somebody reads that, it's probably going to change their opinion on on utilizing a bowling if it doesn't 
makes sense already. The fact that we use it all the time on bridles, man, you know, hooking up, rescuing a casualty going down. Why isn't it strong enough to, to use for other things if you finish it correctly? All right, let's get into some materials, right? So this is, this is probably just as controversial out there. And I think some people may have some misinformation and it's, it's relatively easy when you break it down to a real easy material science. You and I are both uh, somewhat products of Southern education, so not being incredibly smart. Uh, if we figured it out, anybody can figure it out, right? Is aramids, right? We'll talk on aramids first of all. So I uh, will listen to your half on it, where there probably is a, you know not as much utilization of aramids compared to what we do with other groups. We use it. That's all we use is aramids. Uh, now, yeah. 100% aramid ropes all the time, and yeah, we got a lot of strength. A lot of strength in your aramids. Obviously, a big bonus is is you can maintain straight down to cryogenic freezing temperatures. Getting them wet doesn't have a negative effect on them. And the fact that you have a heat resistance typically up to 500 degrees Celsius, 932 degrees Fahrenheit, makes it really nice, especially when we talk about like munter hitches and things like this. We can rock munters down all day. We can use friction on the fly, use some stair rails, anything we want. We're not worried about any kind of glazing or anything like that. The downside that people sometimes bring up is is obviously the the fact that it doesn't stretch a whole bunch, and so they feel like a safety margin is gone in that a little bit. But really, with some of the constructions with weaved uh, cores and, and and different braids on the sheath, you actually have a huge safety factor in there. And and obviously, the stuff that we do with them all the time for the past ten years. We treat them like they're in prison with us, man. Like we, we do not respect it at all. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, we are doing bailouts, doing all this. And if you look at bailouts, I mean, that's a great example. If you're worried about shock, look at what everybody's using for bailouts, right? FDNY is using 100% Technora, right? 7.5. I think they're using the Sterling stuff in their uh, exosystems. Sure. Um, that's 100% Aramid. Yeah, that's that's a 100% Aramid system, man. And bailing out is not something that's real smooth, man. Like you are getting the f out of that building very quickly and and probably putting a little bit of shock loading onto that for realsies if you're training right so what's your what's your feeling on air mids and you can bust into i know you're you're looking at some stuff with roof rescue too right now so yeah hit it up yeah so the really in in, in the fire service end of it the only time we see air mid ropes is with you know what we're just saying is the bailout bailouts bailout kits you know seven and a half millimeter most of the time it's sterling firetech 32 40 or 50 feet of it in a pocket of some firefighter, you know, and, and that's, that's the gist of it. And it, it it's, yeah, I, I don't think it's, it's going to make the rescue culture yet. <laughs> I think it might have some time in the nest before it gets there. Um, the shock loading portion of it and the stretch in the fire service, we're building hall systems, so we don't want stretch, right? So aramid fiber would actually be a, an advantage to us than, than a disadvantage. Because the, the nylon ropes that we use are low stretch ropes, they do have some stretch. You know, you have to preload them before you get any any distance pulled out of them. Pulled out of them. I think they'd, they'd probably make a make a showing if we started putting them in as a roof rope rescues. So, you know, you have the the Patty Bar, Kevin Shea, Pat Brown, 1991 uh, FDNY rescue where they used three strand twisted nylon rope. Uh, and a three wrap on a car- large carabiner and, a, and a, a meat anchor. Yeah, we'll put a link to that because that's that's uh, that's making rescue great again, right there, man. Those that was a yeah, bad yeah. ass. They made it happen. Rescue, yeah. <laughs> or actually, it was a couple of rescues the same way, but that was uh, that was a 
badass day for for that man. That was that was some incredible work. Yeah, I mean, like, that's that's a whole. You know, we could talk about that for for a while, but you know, the reason why I bring it up is fire departments go to fires, right? So the a roof rope rescue would be used to rescue somebody at height during a fire, and nylon rope. I don't, you, you don't have to be a rope scientist or have any kind of knowledge in that to know that it's going to melt. And yet still today, everybody's using nylon ropes for the roof, roof ropes. You know, I, I just, just a thought, maybe we should switch that to Aramid. <laughs> That's a great idea. And, you know, I think it was at, at Eider's, um, I don't know, man, last year, year before or whatever, I think it was Matt Hunt from Sterling and another dude. Uh, I feel bad. I, I can't remember his name. I just remember Matt was doing it because they were using some uh, some Sterling ropes. But they were looking at showing kind of a case for Aramids, even like an industrial where you have hot pipes and things like that. And it was amazing what it was able to do because they did a comparison, obviously, for various rope materials. And that 100% Technora, I think, is what they used in there, that Aramid, it withstood. I mean, it was incredible. Uh, so they pretty much made the case like, for that industrial. Resistance. But at the same time, you know, you're talking about working at height and heat. And basically, those were the same parameters that they were testing for an industrial that was a hot pipe. But nonetheless, you're working at height and you're working at heat. Why wouldn't you use a rope that you have really good abrasion resistance with? Uh, it, it's going to withstand the heat that you're dealing with without, without having an issue. And it's strong as crap, right? Way stronger. You know, it's modulus, everything stronger than than nylon. Nylon. Right? There's no comparison. We have what is it? We're using a seven five right now. The Phantom Rope uh, from TMS is uh, it's 100 percent aramid, but it's I want to say that thing is pushing 6,000 pounds at a seven five. Uh, the nine mil is is what over seven seven k. So I mean, you're talking some pretty strong fiber. So we're you know we're using a nine mil. On things that, and, and you're a thousand pounds over what your, you know, your typical nylon nylon eleven mil is. You know, actually, we're pushing eleven mil nylon nylon strengths with a seven point five. Yeah. You know, I I, I think it's going to be, um, you you know how it is to push anything small in the fire service as far as rope. You know, God only knows, like fifteen sixteen years ago, we were using three quarter inch ropes. Yeah. So. To, to to bring a seven five in other than a personal bailout rope it might be a hard sell even though the numbers are there but I'm sure you can find a 10 mil aramid air you know aramid fiber Kevlar Kevlar somewhere on the market that uh, will foot the bill and have a boatload of breaking strength and abrasion resistance so you know roof a roof rope rescue operation there's no time to think right so it's it's you know Usually a meat anchor or an anchor, if you can find it, you got a parapet wall, it's made out of concrete or jagged, whatever, and somebody's going over, right? So there's no time to be thinking about, oh, let me uh, set this uh, edge protection up and put some old hose down and then, you know, no, you know, it's not happening. So that's, that's my, my next uh, little push. (laughs) No, that's, that's cool. Um, All right. Next one, Dyneema. So. I'll start this off a little bit, and we talked with Brent about it the other night because, you know, obviously Dyneema is used quite a bit with Dyneema runners in climbing and some quick mountain work, and Dyneema is stupid strong. So we're looking at super, super thin sewn Dyneema runners that are pushing 22 kilonewtons on just that pull within a loop. We put a basket hitch in it, and we're pushing 45-plus kilonewtons. Uh, We do a wrap to pull four. And we're up over 64 kilonewtons. 
uh, strong enough for a Highline. And this thing, if you put it rolled, put it in your pocket, you wouldn't even know it's there. You'd forget it would go through the wash. So when when we look at that, unbelievable strength, but we also see it misused quite a bit because the downside of Dyneema is basically you know, some of its properties as far as heat is the opposite of Aramid's. So it does not handle heat at all. So I think the melting point on it, they say, is like 212, 220, something like that. But it starts degrading in the hundreds. And it's an exponential degradation as far as that heat goes. So using it as a friction hitch and things like that, probably not something you'd want to want to do unless you were in an emergency type of situation. But as an anchor, good Lord, man, that's pretty incredible. Uh, I see some ropes yeah. coming out, right? Some You see some ropes in canyoneering and all that uses Dyneema because it's light as crap. Yet I still, even with an Aramid over that Dyneema, I don't know, man. I, I don't – the amount of heat that you can yeah. generate in doing rescue, rescue stuff, I, I don't have a huge amount of confidence in those type of ropes. But uh, Dyneema, if you're used correctly, I think is potentially phenomenal, man. But you tie a knot in it and it takes big 60% strength away. And that's why – just for everybody listening, that's why a lot of your Dyneema runners are sewn already because there's a natural luberosity in that that doesn't hold like – a double fisherman's will will not lock on it. It'll eventually slide through. So they say even if you happen to be using cordelette that has is spectrodyneema to to do a triple uh, fisherman's and be able to have long enough tails and things like that. But I think if used correctly, man, that's that's pretty. It's ridiculous. If we use it like we normally use webbing, man, that's not an issue. And you've you've been we've done releasable anchors off little pieces of of dyneema before on two person loads without an issue. Yeah, it's an incredible product. I, I see absolutely none of it in the fire service today. Right. You know, I, I think that's just one of those things where it's a it's a mountain climbing thing. You know, we, God forbid we look into where our entire rope re- rope rescue, you know, evolved from mountain climbing. We didn't invent it. You know, God forbid we look back at the source. <laughs> right, right, right. But uh, yeah, I I think you know Dyneema is incredibly strong. We've we've seen it work. I mean, I, I don't really how much we can talk about it in the fire service but it's uh it, it has its place that's for sure yeah i agree uh and that it kind of you've kind of brought up a, a funny part there which is pretty hysterical is if we look at a lot of the stuff where you and i've been teaching and we've done some we've done some fire department training together and we brought stuff out and they're like oh man that's that's like mountain stuff that's that's mountain climbing stuff and what's really funny is if you look back into a lot of that you know and you ask them what about what about your prusiks man you know what's the origin of that usually people are fairly amazed to find out it was you know an austrian mountaineering guy named carl prusik that came up with the prusik that uh, used it to be able to climb icy ropes in the mountains back when uh when he was uh i think he was i I can't remember he was one of the presidents of the austrian mountaineering club or something like that but uh, yeah it's amazing how many things pretty much either came from sailing or or from mountaineering that we do is as basis of tech rescue but all right so we made our way through there a little bit on prusiks so i figured we talked that just because a lot Good of people segue. <laughs> yeah so it always kind of comes in there so uh one we'll talk about some of tom evans interesting prusik studies that have come up that to show that prusiks don't react the way that everybody claims and really in, in a lot of those books and classes that you see in tech technical rescue uh, especially fd or industrial related I don't know, man. It's like people's baby, man. It's like telling telling them their baby's ugly or something. Uh, is talking negative about a about a Prusik, but it's, it's safe, man. It's soft on soft. It it clutches. It, it warns you. It slips before when you're overloading your system, and then 
you know, Tom Evans comes in and disrupts the the thought process by actually testing it, which hadn't really been done a whole bunch, and finds out that, yeah, man, it'll slip or it'll desheath your rope or – and there's an unpredictability of it that's unbelievable. And you know, I think he describes – he does a great job describing it in the podcast we did. But on top of that, my other issue with Prusix, especially as it relates to industrial and fire-related stuff, is it kills the shit out of your mechanical advantage when we use it as a progressive capture. Yeah, as we found out in some of the mini hauls that we put together. Yeah, that was that was eye-opening. You know, having that Prusik in there, it's it's a rope grab, is a friction hitch, and we have got to pull through that friction to haul, and we're fighting it, which is kind of crazy. And that that was really eye-opening, man. So then when you go and we go do this, and it's people are doing tandem Prusiks as progressive captures. It's amazing, but on the other Read side, on, yeah. yeah, on the other side though, on fire departments, though, you got a, you got some assets usually, man. You got a lot of people, so you got dudes that are just like, all right, put people on the rope now, pull, haul. Where yeah. you know, in, in other circumstances, in mountain rescue or military rescue or something like that, you may only have one guy that can haul or two guys that can haul, and that's it. So you really need efficiency. So maybe the inefficiency of Presix as a progressive capture isn't that big of a deal on fire. I don't know. Yeah, well, you know, I think prusiks in the fire service are used, you know, for two things. One, uh, as a as a main belay, right? right. So tandem prusik belay, it's considered the bomber. I, 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 you know, I've been that that guy for many years. Where this is the way we do it because this is the way we were told, and it's a bomber. This is hands free. If you walk away from it, and it'll lock you up, and, and it does, no doubt. But they're they're misunderstood. You know, this is. Through Evans's work, you know we're all kind of been enlightened, and uh, getting getting that information to the fire service is probably going to be a little slower than than most. But uh, you know, and, and Prusix, okay. So fire service says, you know, one is none, so you got to have two. So now you got twice as much friction going through an MA. Which one is actually holding the load when it's locked up? Mm-hmm. And this is all stuff through testing that that needs to get out there. Um, you, you had some facts and figures from Evans's study on which leg of the Prusik was actually holding in. It wasn't, right. you know, it wasn't the true, it's a 4,500 pound rope, eight millimeter Prusik. So that means it's twice as strong. So now we got two sets of that at 16,000 pounds. So, okay, now our rope's only 9,000. So there's just so many facts and figures that we go by theoretical knowledge and not testing. No, that's exactly so, it. Then, yeah. Go ahead. You know, I was just going to say the only, the only other use for it was for progressive capture, which is basically the same same way using it as a belay, and then uh, using it as a uh, a rope grab. Right. right? So, yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think you know as a rope grab, that's that's neither here nor there. You know, I'm surprised a lot of times though to see that things stick with like a triple prusik versus you know utilizing something like a clem heist and you know or multi repeating or something like that, which which grabs really well where you're going to have issues, you know, when you're using wet or icy ropes, which you probably don't run into a whole bunch of ice down there in Florida, but uh, that that's where the, you know, I think that's where the Clem heist or multi-rapheating is. It kind of makes its money uh, as a rope grab is hitting that. Plus it's really fast and easy to tie. But so there's, there's our little process. Um, last thing I have on, as far as this material is us talking a little bit about the wrap three pull two anchors. So we talked a bunch on anchors with Evans and, yeah, I thought it was really interesting years ago when he, I don't know, three or four years ago, when he started the testing between a wrap through pull two and a basket hitch and has done, I don't know, ungodly amounts of iterations of that study again and again with different variables in there. 
And each time it comes out, obviously the basket hitch is stronger than a wrap three pull two, where that wrap three pull two is that gold standard. Yet uh, he brings up a great point in there too: is both anchors are actually stronger than the rope you're using usually. So really, it's neither here nor there. Except the information that's being put out about a wrap three pull two is pretty much inaccurate, right? It's it's nowhere near the sixteen thousand pounds. It's it's basically you know almost half of that and some of the things you'll see between you know what 8400 to to 10,000 depending on what leg gets compressed or whatever but it's definitely not a 16,000 pound anchor it takes more time to tie um there's these other issues but yeah I still use I I still use a wrap 3 pull 2 or a a wrap 2 pull 1 if I don't want that anchor to move at all so if we're setting up a high line it's got to go up high on that tree Obviously, if I had a basket hitch as I'm rigging it, it would just keep falling down. Yeah, or if I'm using a, a high directional, uh, going into an elevator shaft or something like that, and I need it to stay in a specific place, I'll do I'll do that because it, it chokes up on it and doesn't move, doesn't have that variability. But uh, you guys still using wrap three pull twos as the standard quite a bit, or yeah, you're starting to see uh, a little bit more. I, I don't know how. Maybe maybe it was in my area starting to see a little more information coming out because maybe somebody's blowing information in their ear <laughs> but uh you know first day of rope school you're taught anchors right. and on the first day of rope school you're taught the wrap three pull two and told that that's the only anchor that you'll ever tie other than using a big bomber you know 80 kilonewton pre-made uh, rigging strap so that's that's the go-to for most of the fire service and like you like you said though that everything has its place you you use them for that high point anchor. You use them for those high directionals. But, you know, the data is showing. Data is data. You can't argue with how a basket hitch out- outperforms it. But both of them are safe, right? right? Yep. So they're, they're both is just as safe as your rope. <laughs> right. Yeah, we don't have a pile of dead bodies, and both have been yeah. used for a long time. So, But I always, I always got a kick out of, you know, like that first day of rope class, and you're teaching all the new guys – uh, wrap three pull twos and then one of them walks over with a webbing loop and does a basket hitch not even knowing what it is and said How, well why can't we do this it's faster and you're like <laughs> yeah yeah and the old, guy, the old guy says no you'll never do that again you know <laughs> right exactly I th- you know it was funny the the precipitating factor for that research to even be started if you listen to the tom evans podcast was he was in a class and somebody told him to build an anchor real quick and he did a basket hitch because it was a somewhat of a low angle just descending down to a uh, water uh, portion. I think they were doing swift water or something like that. I can't remember. But uh, he threw a basket hitch around. The guy yelled – I mean just jumped all over his ass, man. He's like, oh, what are you doing? That's not safe. And and that's that was the causative factor to him to be like, you know what? I don't think this is right. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna do some research on this and actually break it. And what's funny is he went through and tried to see what research was out there and couldn't find any. Couldn't find any definitive research showing what a wrap three pull two was or really what a basket hitch was because as you remember you know the basket hitch what you and i were taught years and years ago was the knot's going to be the weakest point and so you got to protect the knot and number two that knot is going to take strength out of that whole anchor so you know usually you'd see something like okay it's two-thirds the strength of this or whatever and in reality on a basket hitch when you're clipping both those bites man that the knot is never the weakest part which is hysterical no no yeah, and that that uh, that information is starting to get out, but uh, you know, it's the, it's your carabiner, right? Yeah, and that's what's carabiner, so funny. The carabiner stock shape, uh, all, all that's a factor, also. So, yeah, 
Yeah, and I'll tell I'll tell everybody out there too. I've got some. Uh, I need to post this probably, but uh, did some brake strengths on some webbing for for other things that we're using webbing for. But it was amazing to me the difference on how uh, mill spec webbing broke compared to the tech tape or climbing spec uh, that you see out there because they used yeah, like a different loom. Oh yeah, it was incredible. Like I pretty much just use, I mean, obviously, but after seeing it break, you're like, holy crap, like the mill spec, once it starts going on that outside, once it's overstressed, it goes pretty darn quick, man. Where yeah. the, the climbing spec or tech tape, yeah, you could literally go get a coffee come back and it's it's not broken through all the way yet so that was pretty pretty impressive and it, obviously it's the same when we're dealing with carabiners as the connection point that kind of eventually gets pulled through that webbing all right that is the end of part one part two will be up in the next day or two we will be discussing all things rescue if you do listen to it there's a good chance it could make you approximately 37 percent smarter and more attractive, potentially, to some people, maybe. <laughs>